0: Bible's with me to Matthew chapter 10. God has locked and loaded us for a new season. It's time to go so we can grow. You need to be able to look at your job and say, it's time to grow, go so we can grow. You need to look at your family and be able to say, it's time to go so we can grow. Nothing now remains the same. It's a new season in the natural. How many are happy for the sun to be out? Amen. I caught up with some of my gente. I got dark, but uh, the only thing is, is, I'm peeling now, so pray for your gringo pastor. You know, white people, we loved hands, okay? What y'all have naturally, man, with that, that beautiful buttery brown skin you got naturally, I got to sit out in the sun to bake to get. And, uh, you know, for us and my kids, man, we love the sun, and it's so good to be back here. I'm glad that the elders and deacons said, Pastor, we're ready to rock and roll. We don't need you to take more time because I'm ready to get into this. Somebody say, I'm sending you. Amen. I'm sending you is what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And so as we learned last time I preached Matthew 9, they were busted and disgusted. They were sick. They were demon-possessed. Now they got the power and the authority to heal the sickness, cast out the, uh, the demons, and to be world changers, the history makers and roof breakers. So you have to ask yourself a question. Am I still in Matthew 9? Am I the woman with the issue of blood always trying to reach in and get my breakthrough? Or am I in Matthew 10, somebody casting out demons doing what Jesus does? Who do you want to be in Christianity? Do you want to be a bleeder or do you want to be a leader? You'll always find people who will join your pity patty party. But Jesus and his disciples, they ain't coming. They're going to write, you know, how we get these Facebook uh, event pages like we have one for Boricua Fest. It's on my page. It's on the church page. Go check it out. Click going. But you need to click to the, the world's pity patty party not interested. That's what you need to put not interested when people around you are wanting to live in their brokenness and pain. It's not that we don't love people even though they're broken and they're in pain. It's that we're not there to keep them in that that cycle of defeat. We want to move them out of chapter 9 into chapter 10 being leaders, not bleeders. Amen. You see, God changed you that you can be a change agent. And chapter 10 starts us right off here by telling us he gave these disciples the power and the authority to do this. And now in verse 2, he names their names. And my question is, are you named among the disciples? Not are you named among the worldly, not are you named just among the, success of, of the successful people of this world, but are you named among the disciples? That's the most important place you can have your name is with these disciples right here. And that's why we count you here, because people count. Why do we count disciples? Because people count. And right now we have more disciples than we've ever had at any time in the church, and you are a part of that movement, male and female. Now we know that he picks 12 because that represents the 12 tribes of Israel, and he picks men because those were the representative of the leaders of their home. But as we read through the Bible, and by the time we get to the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit's being poured out 120 disciples, the women are there and cannot hear an amen. Amen. So we believe in men and women having the Holy Spirit to be disciples, priests, and prophets to this nation. But here their names are Simon who is also called Peter's brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, so two sets of brothers, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Isn't that something how Judas was known as a betrayer? Do you want to be known as a betrayer in your life? You can be known as that, as a divider, as a betrayer. I thank God that my reputation over 20 years of ministry, I'm not known as a church splitter. I'm not known as any of a messy person. Over 20 plus years, I'm not a betrayer. I'm happy that in 14 years of marriage, I've been never known as a betrayer of Nancy Vorostik. Can I hear an amen? Is there anybody here that does not want to be known as a betrayer? Can I hear an amen? It's easy to betray. It's hard to be loyal, isn't it? Anybody can trip and fall down a hill but can you climb up the hill are you listening to me anybody can trip and fall down into marriage that's easy stupid is as stupid does but can you walk up the hill of marriage and hold your integrity anybody can look good doing something for a few days man anybody can look like they're surfing for a little bit until that wave comes you see life is going to hit you a bunch of different ways and you got to determine what kind of character you want I've gone through so many tough situations in my life and ministry where I've been betrayed, I've been lied on, I've been done wrong by those above me and those under me. But one thing that I have kept all throughout those years is my integrity, my character. you got to understand that, people. You might have gifts that bring you to the mountaintop, but it's your character that's going to get you to stay there. We're not in the church trying to raise up a bunch of Cardi B's on the stage up here. Are you listening? So if Cardi B came to the church, she's not ready to worship lead yet because we want the character to match the charisma, which is the Greek word for gift. And so here, Matthew, who's writing the epistle, or rather the gospel, tells us real quick, hey, if you don't remember who Judas is, he's the one who betrayed you. Uh, He's the one who betrayed Jesus and betrayed the church and all of them. And here's the deal. Betrayers will only be known for that. Just remember that. Betrayers are only known for their betrayal. The Bible even says in adultery that 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 thing is never taken away. You'll always remember that's what they did. That's what they did. Now, can God forgive betrayers? Yes, he can. But the thing is you got to be careful with them and how much you trust them because they may betray you again. But we love people, and we give them second and third chances. Amen? But there he is, old Judas the betrayer. Had to stop and talk about that. Let's go to verse 5. Look at it. The Bible says these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Now this right here, if you have a red letter Bible, does anybody have a red letter Bible or a red letter app where it shows you? You got it right there? Scroll and see how much reds you see now, gentlemen. Just scroll all the way down. Yeah. How much of that chapter is red? All of it, right? All from this point on. You want to know why? It's because Jesus starts talking. When Jesus starts talking, disciples start listening. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and you said Jesus said, but they didn't listen, they just kept going? Okay, those are kind of people that you don't want to really spend a lot of time around, right? But when Jesus starts talking, how many know we start listening? And so when Jesus starts talking right here, we have got to take this seriously. We cannot now argue with Jesus and go, but, 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 but. No, no, no. It's what Jesus says that goes. And so when a pastor or a leader or your friend brings you the red letters of Jesus, and if something out of your heart goes, but, 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 no, you need to get your big old butt out the way. And get a good yes. Can I hear an amen to that? Say, yes, Lord, I'm listening. So now from this point on, it's all red letters. Listen to what Jesus does. Let me prep you for this. There's going to be two parts of his talk. The first part is going to be what we call a short-term mission trip. Now remember, Jesus is with them three years, three and a half years to be technical. And so he now is going to start sending them out to bring them back, to hang out with them, to send them out, to bring them back. He's going to give them practice before he actually leaves once and for all after the resurrection, and ascends to heaven. In the middle of this, he's going to switch from his short-term talk to his long-term talk, what's going to happen after he leaves. I'll explain that as we read it so you can understand more. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. How do I know that's short term? Because in Matthew 28 it says, go into all the world. That's the long term message. During Jesus' three and a half years, he didn't want them going off to India. He didn't want them going down to China. He didn't want them going to Africa yet. He wanted them to stay right there in that area and specifically reach the Jewish people. That's how I know it's short term because Matthew's not going to contradict himself. And just put up Matthew 28 19 so you guys can see here how Matthew ends. He says, go into all the world. That's going to be long-term. We got to keep that in our mind because as we're going from short-term to long-term, there's going to be some things that don't apply to us today because we're in the long-term vision. So he says, therefore, go and make disciple of how many nations? All nations. So you see at some point you had to get out of that area. But let's go back to the notes. Very simple. Don't go to those guys yet. Don't go to all nations yet. He's saying stay in the area. Stay right around here and go find the Jewish people. As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have lepers, a leprosy, drive out demons, freely you received, freely give. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. So that's what they're going to go do. They're going to go do the work of the ministry. We're going to do the same thing in the long term, but this is for them in the short term. Here's another indication that I know it's short term. Look at verse 9. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals. Don't even bring your chonclas. Are you guys getting, don't even bring, you going to walk on dirt. Don't even bring your chonclas or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. So this is literally how he wants them to go. He wants them to empty their pockets. He wants them to take off their sandals. He wants them to get rid of their walking stick because that would help you on a longer journey. If you go to hiking trails, you'll see people doing that. It helps you, you know, bear your weight a little bit. Get rid of your staff, no bag, and just go start preaching like this. How many know that's a a lesson right there to learn if you're a good preacher or not? Because if you're not a good preacher, you don't get sandals. You don't get something to eat. You've got to preach well enough to where people are going to take you in and say, man, rest those feet a little bit. I'm going to wash your feet. Let's clean you up. I'm going to give you some food. And so he's teaching them in the short term, this is how you're going to do it. Now, how do I know that's not long term? Because they start wearing sandals eventually. Uh, You know, Paul starts riding horses or or donkeys, you know. They start bringing money with them. Paul's collecting the money as he goes and travels, and they bring extra clothes with them because even back then, you know, you would stink if you only had one pair of clothes. Are you listening, right? And so what he's teaching them on this short-term mission trip, we don't know exactly how long it was, a week, two weeks. He's teaching them, you're going to learn to live by faith. Now, we're not in the short term mission plan. We know we're not there. We're going to all nations. We have shoes. How many are glad you have shoes and chonklas today? Okay. And you have some gold. Anybody have any money here? Amen. You're not broke. Amen. You're not homeless. How many have a place to stay tonight? Okay, good. Okay, so we're happy to be not in the short-term plan, though still today some missionaries do this when they go to unreached people groups. They will leave everything behind and go into the deep parts of the jungle, into the desert, to, the, to where no one has been reached before, and they'll come there very humbly, okay? But where do we, uh, what do we get out of this? Where do we find our application? Is that when we do ministry, when we're going and praying for the sick, healing the, the leper, doing all that God called us to do, preaching the gospel, We don't rely upon our shoes. We don't rely upon our gold. We don't bribe the people. We can do community outreach, but we don't bribe them. It's not like, hey, you know, come get this, come get this, come for free and all this, and then we'll give you a little Jesus at the end. The idea is we're giving you a hot dog because of Jesus. We're we're giving you the gift card because of Jesus. And so we're not using that as our bait and switch, as it were. And so it says now in verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. So there's going to be some people, you know, you knock at the door and say, hey, man, can I stay here for a little bit and preach the gospel to you? They may say, no, you're crazy. We don't want you here. Slam the door. And then the Bible says, now take your peace with you and go on. Okay, now the Bible says in verse 14, let's keep going, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. You're not even technically at this point shaking dust off your sandals, you're shaking the dust off your feet. Does everybody get the picture of this? I mean, you're literally going back to the town uh, square going, okay, y'all ain't worthy of this, I'm going to the next one. Who's going to give me a place to stay? Who's going to give me something to eat so I can keep preaching? Y'all didn't want it. I'm moving down to the next one. What great faith it took to be these kind of disciples. What great faith it now takes for us to humble ourselves with our great resources and live like this again. Though we don't technically have to do it all the exact way, we need to learn the principle, which is I should be willing to preach the gospel to people and see where I can build the church until someone wants it. And that's why I choose the spots I go to. Is Logan Square better than, than Wright College? It is right now. I feel like I've shaken the dust off of Wright College a little bit because when we were out there, it was a little cold, but it was hard to get people to stop. At Logan Square, I'm getting a lot more people to stop. So the principle is for me, I only have so much time in a day to go witnessing. I want to go where there's the most amount of people who are receptive. You get that? Can I hear an amen to that? So don't keep trying to invite the same people to church. If they've told you 100 times, no, pray for them. Let them know the invitation's there. Don't give up on them. But go to somebody else. Go to another lunch table, young people. You've already invited your friends at your lunch table. That's fine. Now go to the lunchroom this Monday and go, what table am I going to sit at and make new friends with? Hey, guys, empty chair. You mind if I sit here? Cool. My name's Jason, man. I'm a leader of a Christian club. just want to see if I could talk and meet with you guys, hang out and talk about Jesus. Oh, blankety, blankety, blank. Okay. Shake off the dust. Hey, what's up, cool jocks? I'm going to sit at your table. My name's Jason. Keep going from table to table until someone receives you. That's a perfect example of this, isn't it? Same thing with your coworkers. Hey, Bob, you want to go out? You, know, you don't even have to do a bait and switch because you might just say, Hey, Bob, can I buy you lunch? And Bob will come for the free lunch and then he hears you talking about Jesus. It's almost like you tricked him. No, just go, Bob, hey, can I take you out for lunch, to tell you about Jesus? No, nope. okay. Uh, you know, Mike, you want to go out for lunch so I can take, talk to you about Jesus? No, nope. okay. You, you find the person who will let you take him out to lunch and then you talk to him about Jesus. Same thing with your neighbor going around the neighborhood. Hey, let's get you to come to a life group. You want to come to a life group? No, no, but you know, I, I already know what you guys are doing. Okay, let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one until we find somebody who comes. Shake the dust off your feet and keep preaching. Now, look at verse 15. Here is serious Jesus. What does Jesus say here? Truly, I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. How many know about Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible? What happened to them? Fire and brimstone came down and blew the whole place up. Jesus is saying, those who now reject the new covenant are going to have more condemnation in the judgment to come than those who rejected the old covenant, because now it's coming with more information, more detail, and more power, so, so your condemnation will be greater. Now, you remember I talked about that early on, I said I was going to be able to show you in the book of Matthew where there are degrees of punishment, that not everybody gets punished the same, just like in rewards, not everybody gets rewarded the same in heaven. You remember I, I mentioned that? Well, here's a You all don't remember I mentioned it? Well, I did, okay with me now. Here's a perfect example there. Sodom and Gomorrah will be better than the towns that rejected Jesus. So Hitler, like if you think about it like that, is going to have a different kind of torment than just another kind of sinner because of what Hitler did and how he rejected and how he did the things he did. And so there are different grades of punishment. There are different grades of reward. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, we earn our salvation, but it just simply means that based on God's grace, we get rewarded for what we were obedient to, but when it comes to hellfire, we earn the punishment that we deserve. So think about that. There will be different grades of punishment. Now, (coughs) excuse me, I believe that's the short-term message, okay? So let's just scroll back up so they can see it from the beginning. He says, guys, I'm going to send you out. Go preach the kingdom of God. Tell them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, all of these wonderful things. Don't take anything with you. And then if any town or village does not receive you, then know that it's going to be very bad for them on judgment day. Here's where I think he starts talking about long-term stuff because it's going to start talking about things that couldn't have happened during their short-term mission. And we don't want the Bible to contradict itself. We want it to complement itself. Amen? How many believe Peter wouldn't? I mean, uh, Matthew wouldn't contradict himself from verse 15 to 16? How many trust the word of God that way? Okay, so we have to read it intelligently. Now verse 16 says, I am sending you out. Somebody say, I'm sending you out. Amen. Amen. There is the title for today's message in the chapter. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Does that sound like it's going to be fun? (laughs) I'm sending you out to get eaten up basically. What do you think it's been like for me in Chicago? Do you think I've always felt like I'm the king of the castle? No, I've been like a sheep among wolves. You, you could probably see a lot of bite marks from, from what I've been through, but I'm still here. Amen? I can take a good ticking. I mean, keep, take a good look and keep on ticking. And it's good for us to recognize it's a part of persecution. It's a part of Christianity. So you're going to be that. You're going to be now the sheep among wolves. When you go to your job and you're doing everything we just talked about, they're going to attack you sometimes. They're not always going to like you. You're called sure. It's not only it's going to like it. Does everybody get this? I'm sending you out. Hey, you want to know what it's going to be like? I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So if you're the kind of person that says, oh, I don't want to talk about religion and politics because it's too confrontational, you're not fitting into what Jesus talked about. I'm not saying you have to be rude and be a jerk, but you have to understand they are going to viciously attack you. Now, our culture, we know the way they viciously attack us. And that in this culture, they viciously attack them for different reasons, okay? But it's all similar in the sense we don't like Jesus and his exclusive message. They didn't mind Jesus being one God among many, but for them, the Romans, it was Jesus is God above Caesar that they didn't like, and that Jesus' morals brought the whole world to accountability. Now, what did the Jewish people not like about Jesus is that Jesus was the Messiah they weren't expecting. They wanted a Messiah that was going to be like them, kind of like really judgmental on the little things and over, and, and being over a nation and controlling people and not looking at the, the, the prostitute, the adulterer, and not being merciful. They thought Jesus was going to kind of be their dictator. And so the Romans don't like Jesus because he's too exclusive. And the Jews don't like Jesus because he's too inclusive. He's bringing in the non-Jews. He's bringing in the pagans. He's bringing in the soldiers, the oppressors. You're not supposed to go heal the centurion's uh, a slave. You're not supposed to do that. Centurions are, are oppressors and they own slaves. What are you doing, Jesus, helping these people? You see, Jesus is not approving of their behavior or their oppression in any way, but he's simply saying, I'm opening up the gate wide enough for all of them to come in. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Remember, they crucified Jesus. Therefore, be as shrewd or as wise as snakes and as innocent as doves. Did you know you were supposed to be as shrewd as a snake? In the Bible, you're supposed to be as shrewd as a snake. That doesn't mean be a sneaky little snake. Sneaky little snakes go behind your back and... Spread lies or gossip. Sneaky little snakes are dishonest. You're not supposed to be a sneaky little snake. You're supposed to be a shrewd snake. How are snakes shrewd? They come in a way that you don't see them. How many have ever been outdoors and saw a snake after it had already saw you? How many of you have been outdoors and had to deal with a snake that was hard to get a hold of? Maybe you tried to get it like a pet for for your kids like I try to do with my kids. Does anybody here try to catch snakes for their kids? Okay, I guess I'm weird, but that's all right. Once again, the gringo pastor does things that are unique. Amen. Okay. (laughs) You know, got to put it out there every now and then, right? So I was in Louisiana. I tried to catch the snake for my child. You know, we're going to do that, but it was hard to get. What he is saying, what Jesus is saying here is not be like the serpent, the devil, who's a liar, who's a gossiper, who's a deceiver, who's a betrayer. No, no, don't don't be like that. Be like a snake that is shrewd and wise. Someone that sees things before other people see them. Someone that can move silently but bring a lot of change quickly. Someone that is wise. And then he says, be as innocent as doves. When we see doves, we see purity. Even the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove. And so in our shrewdness, in our ability to see the culture and attack it in ways that bring down its worldview, but loving the people, we are innocent of the sins of the culture. In other words, we don't fight bitterness with bitterness. We don't fight jealousy with jealousy. We don't fight perversion with perversion. You ever heard of somebody telling you a st- I heard this before they tell you a story. You know, my spouse, they cheated on me. So you know what I did? I went and got back at them and I cheated on them. Have you ever heard those kind of stories? You see, that, that's, that's being foolish. The Bible says be shrewd. Maybe your wife or spouse or husband did cheat on you, so be shrewd and help figure out do they want to stay with you or be with that person. But in your working through the issue with your spouse, be innocent of anything that they have done. Can I hear an amen to that? And we are to do that with the gospel. Look at verse 17. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. How do I know it's not short-term? It had to change to long-term. Because that never happened between the times they would go out with Jesus before he was crucified. There's no story that they were ever attacked or captured. That only happened after Jesus ascended to heaven in their long-term missions. Can can I get an amen from that? How many understand? Short-term and long-term. Amen. It's my job to help you understand the scriptures, okay? Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local synagogues, uh, local councils, and be flogged in their synagogues. That happened in the book of Acts after Jesus ascended. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. See, now it's no longer just this nation. It's all the nations, and Peter and Paul and a lot of the disciples were brought before people like that. Verse 19, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will be not you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. How many saw the Trinity right there? Who saw it? Raise your hands if you saw the Trinity. Okay, I got a lot of work to do today. How much time do I have? So, y'all didn't see the Trinity? Y'all looking for the Trinity? We should be reading scriptures, understanding who God is. Who's the one speaking? Verse 19 and 20. Who's the one speaking? The Son, Jesus, okay? It says it will be given to you what to say. Uh, Don't worry about what to say because the Spirit, who's the Spirit? The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. Where does the Spirit come from? Your Father. Father. Who's speaking? Jesus. Who's going to give us the words to say? The Spirit by the Father. Isn't that something? Now you see the Trinity. Sometimes people say, oh, the Trinity, man, that's not in the Bible. No, it's very clearly in the Bible. There are three divine persons interacting with the world. That's why I said in the beginning, let us make mankind in our image, plural. And that's why at the end of Matthew, he's going to say, baptize them in the name of the what? The Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And haven't we already seen those three from Jesus' baptism? Jesus is in the water, Holy Spirit coming like a dove, and the Father is speaking from heaven. Let's keep going. The Bible then says, brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, can I tell you when the Son of Man came in this way? It says you'll be flogged, you'll be beaten, people will start betraying you. But then it says the Son of Man will come, everybody get this, and you will not have even reached all of the towns of Israel. Well, let me ask you a question. Has Jesus Christ come in the second coming? Has he come from the clouds of heaven, yes or no? No, he hasn't come yet. But hold on. Have we gone to all the towns of Israel? We have. So, do you see the contradiction now if you don't know how to explain it? I'm looking at some of my pastors. I wish I could call on you to see how you would explain it. He says, You'll be persecuted, you'll be hated, and I tell you, you will not finish doing this assignment by the time I come back. Well, it's been 2,000 years. All of Israel has been reached. Now we're reaching the othermost parts of the earth. We're reaching all the parts of Asia. We're reaching all the parts of Africa, Latin and South America. And yet Jesus still hasn't come back. We're waiting, of course, for all the world to hear. What does this talk about when it says when the Son of Man comes? In 70 AD, Jerusalem was ransacked by the Romans and the Jewish religion at that time was ended once and for all. You might say, well, there are still Jews here today and they practice their religion. There could never be a true Jew after 70 AD. Can I explain that to you? The Jewish people had to have a temple. The temple must have sacrifices. In Hebrews, which is an epistle written to the Hebrew people, the author says the old covenant is about to entirely pass away. When did it pass away? when that temple was destroyed. Now today you have Jewish people by descent love them. You have Jewish people that keep parts of the law, but listen, there are 613 laws that the Jewish person must keep. How many of them do you think have to do with the temple? Hundreds, hundreds. It's impossible for them to keep about a quarter of their religion, and that quarter was the most important. So what does that mean? That means Jesus came through the judgment. When you read the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, it's Jesus coming in judgment. He even calls the Assyrian army his army. He even calls the Babylonian army his army. He takes it that serious. He even calls Cyrus, as some people now like to compare Donald Trump to, like a Cyrus figure, if you've ever heard that. Some of you I know might, have, might be aware of that. He even used Cyrus, this wicked king, and called him my king. Like a David title, we'll do X, Y, and Z, but it was all judgment. What am I saying this to you for? God can come either as Savior or as judge. The Israelite people got destroyed and their temple destroyed in 70 AD because as Jesus was being crucified, after Pilate said, who should I let go, Barabbas, a thief, or Jesus, they said, let Barabbas go. And they said, what should we do with Jesus? And they shouted out, crucify him. And he said, but this man is innocent. And then what did they say back? Let the guilt be upon us and our children. And so in 70 AD, they reaped what they sowed. And so, this is a part of that long term mission because once that happened, Israel was no longer Israel. It was devastating. It was an occupied land by other nations until 1948, where they got it back. And now they're trying to rebuild their temple. And that has to do with Matthew chapter 24 and the end times because the Jewish people will reestablish their full religion during the time of the Antichrist. Sadly, It will be in tribulation time. So what do we do now for the Jewish people? We pray for them. We love them. We help them see Christ. And we actually show them the inconsistencies. And that's not my words. That's Jews for Jesus' words. That's one of the tactics that they use, the approach, in other words, is they write books on this and say, hey, are you a Jew? Yeah. Do you follow all the laws? Well, the ones that I can. And then you show them if you can't follow all, it's not worth anything. So either Christ has fulfilled the law or you're incomplete. Do you see how that points them to Christ? Because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. But there's some things that we can take from here, can't we? Brother will betray brother. See, it's not just Judas who betrays us. Now we learn family will betray us. Do you know that during the Nazi Holocaust, that children were taught in Germany to report their parents if they said anything against the Nazi party? Do you know that there's been times where they've used children to report on their families, not even just in Germany, but in other communist places? The Bible says that Christianity will be treated the same exact way. And that, my friends, is not only a part of their history in the ancient times, it's a part of our history. In North Korea, that is the number one nation where Christians are persecuted the most. The second come the Islamic nations. But in North Korea, if you see a parent become a Christian as a child, you report them to the government. If you see a sibling become a Christian, you are to report them. And Jesus said, brother will betray brother. Father his own child. Could you imagine taking your own child, bringing them before the courts, going, this one has become a Christian. In Islamic nations, fathers will honor kill their own children. Their own children will be honor killed if they lose their faith in Islam. In Islam, this, some people say, well, that's the extreme. No, no. Muhammad said, Muhammad said in the hadiths, the reliable traditions, if you leave Islam, you are to die. The only way to leave is to die. Now, some people might say, well, he said in the Quran, to you, your faith, and to me, my faith, let it be. That was at the beginning. When he was in Mecca, they didn't like him, so he tried to get along with them. He made it very easy. But as time went on, in Medina, as he moved, he became a warlord, and then when he came back, he conquered. And that's where he said, no one will be free. No one will be free to choose now. Now, you might think to yourself, that's so unfair that religions do that. Yes, but I've also seen Christian parents pull their kids to soccer practices on Sunday. It gets quiet when I preach like that. See, parent will betray child, yeah, and even in other countries with religions, yeah, but they'll also betray their children now for the things of the culture. Because the culture says your children belong to us. We want them in soccer practice, not church. We want them affirming Ellen, not thinking it's a sin. And right now, what is the government trying to do? The government, if the liberals have their way, will take away the responsibility of parents and give it to the state. Right now in Canada, you can always see what's going on, going to happen in America, go to Canada or Europe. Right now in Canada, there is a parent that is refusing to do transgenderism with his daughter that wants to become a boy. And right now in Canada, they are putting it to the law. Can we now put this father in jail and remove the child from the home? Already in California, it's illegal for me to counsel you to not have a sex change or to be straight if you have gay tendencies, if I was in California. I can preach it in California with freedom of speech, but I cannot act as your Christian therapist and to give you counsel. It is now illegal to counsel you otherwise. That's not to be alarmist. It's just to wake you up a little bit because brother will betray brother even in America. Father will betray child and child will rebel against parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone. Doesn't it feel like right now the Christian worldview is the one that's hated the most? I go to Logan Square and I preach, and it's so funny. I'm going to make it a little bit of an exaggeration. This scene hasn't happened yet, but very close to it. You can almost see it like this. I'm preaching at Logan Square, and you can see the person wrapped up in the turban, the Sikh on one side. You can see the Muslim with the beard on the other side. You can see the, uh, the millennial kind of like hipster on the one side with their little hat tilted to the side. You can see the gangbanger with tats everywhere. And all of them have one thing in common. Yell at that person. I've just about seen that scene where it's like every worldview just agrees to stop fighting with each other long enough to put down the Christian now. We all agree they're wrong, right? Yeah, we agree, we agree, we agree, we agree. Yeah, they're wrong. Why is that? Because in all faiths and all worldviews, there are many roads, Even as I was talking about Islam, there are ways in Islam to be saved without being a Muslim. Your good works can outweigh your bad works. There are ways, you know, obviously in other religions. And Christianity, as loving as we have the reputation of being, we are also known for being judgmental. And it's not judgmental in like the snooty way. It's the exclusive judgmentalism where we make judgments on other religions. And that bothers people. Have you ever heard it said like this? The tolerant are tolerant of everything except those they don't agree with. And so when they don't agree with us that the way to heaven is narrow, they now think it's okay to betray us. That's okay. It doesn't matter if you lose your job. Freedom of speech is for everybody else but you. It's okay if we take your children from you. You weren't a good dad. You are a hater, a bigot, so forth and so on. And the Bible says you'll be hated by everyone because of me. Now, I know on Sundays, most people do not want to come to church and be talked about how you're going to be hated. But why did Jesus tell us that? Because look at the next part. Because the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, I know this applies to us because I have to stand firm to the end. My Jesus hasn't come back yet, and I'm still responsible for preaching it. It doesn't matter how the culture changes, how everything around us changes. I'm there to keep preaching. And the Bible says they persecute you. You're allowed to leave until you can find peace to keep preaching. And the Bible says that would would happen to them, and Jesus would come even before they went to all the towns of Israel. We know that happened in 70 A.D. They hadn't reached all of Judea yet, yet they were forced to leave that land because the Romans sacked that country. Now let's go to verse 24. Because there may be some of you here that can say, Pastor, I think I can do this better than Jesus. You know, Jesus and his disciples, they got persecuted, but I'm not going to get persecuted. I'm nicer than Jesus. I have a way of not being confrontational. Look at what Jesus says. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master it is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub or the devil, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them for there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy, destroy both soul and body in hell." I'll get to the sparrows in just a moment, but would you scroll up? It says you're going to be, if you're a student, just like your teacher. Can everybody look up at me, please? If they block me on Facebook, they're going to block you eventually too. If they don't like you, if they don't like me, they're going to eventually not like you because I'm your teacher, right? Now, if you say, Joe, I'm nothing like you, then why am I your teacher? Go to another place where it's like your teacher, right? And so who's my teacher? Who's all of our teachers? Jesus. He's our teacher and the apostles, right? If they don't like Jesus, if they don't like the apostles, then they're not going to like us. That's why you always got to find it to be suspect if people allow you to be their friend after they've blocked everybody else. Think about that. What are they saying by that? What they're saying is, you're the gullible one. I want to keep on a leash so I can influence you. I'll block Joe, I'll block this elder, I'll block this person, but I'm going to keep you on my feed so you can be gullible. That's what they think about you. Because they don't come to the teacher, they want to try to influence the student. And that's exactly what the Bible says. But we are to be loyal to our teacher. Not loyal to me as a person, but loyal to the message. Loyal to what God is doing in a church or in our house. Like if you're a parent, don't let anybody divide your house, right? And then when it comes to us as a culture, Christians should stand together and say, this is what we call sin and stand against the world and not bicker over those little things. That's why when you see me as a pastor putting up things on Facebook, I'm fighting for the big things, Like the example I put up and I did a video on, the pastor of Hillsong ridiculed a Christian because he had put that homosexuals don't inherit the kingdom of God in a long list of sins. He didn't just call out homosexuals. He was an Australian rugby player. And he had a long list of sins and the homosexual community got upset with him. The league fired him. He lost his contract of millions of dollars. I think it was $10 million. And here this pastor of Hillsong, the biggest church in Australia, instead of saying, man, I got my brother's back. He he said, oh, he was wrong. He was mean. He shouldn't have did it that way. He literally threw his brother under the bus so that he could look as the reasonable one, so that he could be back on Oprah's show. See, God have mercy. I know that we may not all say it the same way, but we should stand with our brothers and sisters who are truly preaching the gospel. You know, if Pastor Choco uh, is online and he's preaching, and and I actually had this situation happen to me. Let me mention one with Pastor Choco. I love him. So I was at uh, a place trying to get approval to start a church in Wicker Park to have a building, and the alderman, his name was Marino, and we were talking, and, that, and some of you have heard this conversation, and how the conversation started was Marino said, what kind of pastor are you? Are you one like Choco? Because him and Choco had already gone head-to-head on other issues, And I said, what do you mean am I like Pastor Choco of New Life Covenant who don't know him? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he's against homosexuality and all of that. Now, listen to me. That's for me to get his, I'm in this meeting to get the approval for a building. I could have, you know, capitulated or kind of threw Choco under the bus and, and, you know, tried to make myself look better. But it was an honor to stand with Pastor Choco in that moment. I stand with Pastor Choco. I'll tell you another story. It's actually one of our bad reviews on Google if you find it someone came to our grand opening of the Irving Park campus. They had been a member of Chicago Tabernacle, Pastor Toledo, who was another man that I love, another church that I love. And he had come to visit us on a grand opening. This, this, this person used to be a member there. And he shook my hand and, you know, I'm talking to him after the service. And I said, hey, brother, how did you hear about us? And literally, he just said, I found you online. I loved you. I mean, it was great. And then just right at the end, I said, oh, have you been going to another church? He said, oh, I've been going to Chicago Tab. And I just asked him, well, why did you leave? And he just started railing against the church, just started railing against it this is god is my witness i wish there was i think they're in second service uh well ricky's here ricky do you remember this okay he remembers and i said well hold on brother we can't say that against other churches we don't talk that way against good pastors here he goes oh man i, I mean uh, you know i appreciate what you're doing but i got my own problems over there you know and he kept going i go no, no 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 i don't think you understand what i'm saying for you to come back here you have to repent now of what you're saying to him because i've already about him i've already heard you say these things you got to repent to me now it got all weird and awkward, you can imagine, right? I mean, this guy's just, you know, like almost like meeting a person and they say they hate a pizza joint, you know? It's like he just thought he was going to flippantly say that. And then he, he got offended that I brought that up. And I, and I said, okay, brother, let me bring you into the office. And I brought in Ricky and some of the others. So imagine this, launch of a new building, a visitor, and all he was doing was saying what he didn't like about Chicago, Chicago Tab. And now he is sitting in my office with two elders, And I now said to him, I said, brother, if you do not repent now with these elders here, we're going to put you out of the church. He got mad at me. He said, oh, you guys are just like the police. You guys defend each other even when they're evil and all that. I said, brother, you've said no evil to me. You've only said your opinion of this man of God. You haven't done it the right way. Brothers, remove him from the church. They had to take him by the arms and say, it's time to go, sir. Yeah. That's the Google. That's the Google review. Read it. They led me out there with his bodyguards and put me out the church. You know what? I said Toledo owes me a lunch for that. But why was that? Why? Why did I feel so compelled to defend Pastor Toledo? Because I understood that this is how they treat us, and you will not get me to turn on my brother. You won't get me to do that. I won't be divisive. I will not. I have differences. Sure, we'll we'll put out sassy posts. But you won't say things about men and women of God around me without being held accountable. And how many are glad that man's not in our church? Because how long would it take for him to find something out about me to come to you and talk some nonsense and not handle it the right way? You see, God said, the greatest opportunity you have is to be like your teacher. I hope I live an honorable life that you're not ashamed of me in public and that we can stand together in our doctrines and in our truths. So if someone were to come to you in your business and go, hey, I hear you go to that crazy church, do you believe these things? I mean, your pastor says all these. You could say, hey, I believe every one of them because the Bible says it. Let's take it off the pastor and put it right on the word because that's our ultimate teacher, amen? Now notice this next thing. He says, nothing's going to stay hidden. It's all coming out. So, we better live right for God. And he says, Make it known. Make it known what is told you in the dark. Where's that dark place, your prayer closet, where God is speaking to you in secret? What he's whispering in your ear? You're to shout from the roofs. And then now, I love Jesus. Highlight verses 28 and, uh, oh, just 28, please. Look at what he says. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. You see, I'm not supposed to be afraid of a bad Facebook review. I'm not supposed to be afraid of people getting their feelings hurt, though I don't intend to hurt people's feelings. What I'm supposed to be afraid of is the one who can destroy my body and soul in hell. Do you guys get it? You're going to have brothers and sisters betray you too. You're going to have jobs betray you. One woman, they tried to fire her because she, well, they did fire her because she couldn't work on Sunday for church. That backfired. She just won, I believe, a $10 million lawsuit. Did anybody see that? Yeah, because we still got rights in this country, but be ready for betrayal. And here's the deal. Don't fear men. Fear God. Now, how many are ready for some comfort from Jesus? That was intense. Whoa, Jesus. I thought we were just going to the outreach to hand out free hot dogs. You're telling me to give up my chonclas. You're telling me I'm going to get whipped and beaten. I'm, I'm going to be like a lamb among wolves. Oh, my goodness. What's happening? Got, I got to be ready to meet you on judgment day. Look at verse 29. See, this verse will mean something to you now, won't it? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. How many have heard that old song? If he has his eye on the sparrow, I know he watches me. How many have heard that song? That's not a K-Love song. Let's put it that way. It's an oldie. It's a hymn. See, isn't that encouraging now? Because my dad might have betrayed me, but he's telling me he's still watching over me. God's still watching over me. My children might betray me. Brother and sister might leave me. I might be whipped in public. I might be scorned. But the Bible says, hey, look at these sparrows. Not one of them falls to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. Now, can I be honest with you? Most preachers don't know how to preach that verse. Because how do they tell you this verse? They tell you this verse like, oh, you're going through trouble on your your job and nobody likes you. God's watching you. Oh, you're going through troubles here. No, no, no. Where is the context of the troubles? People are punching you in the face. You're falling down and you've lost hair. And God says, you have not fallen down or lost hair without me watching you. It's literal persecution time. And Jesus is saying, in that context, when you'll be tempted to throw it all in and go, man, Christianity, I thought was going to give me a mansion, a house, a new car. Christianity hasn't given me anything, but it's cost me. It's cost me friends. It's cost me family. It's cost me my face. The Bible says you're supposed to know that God is watching you there, even in persecution. Can I hear an amen for that? I want you to think about how the disciples died. Those 12 that were named, minus Judas, you have 11 now. How did they die? All of them were persecuted and all of them died persecution, violent deaths except John. And the only reason why John did not die is because after they tried to boil him alive, it didn't work and they exiled him to an island. 10 disciples died brutal deaths. As you scroll back up to where I named them, can you go up to the top, please? There's a link there. You see this link? Click on it when you have time. Not now, but click on it when you have time. It shows you where they died. Where did... Uh, Doubting Thomas go, he went to India, the land of a thousand gods, and he got speared to death preaching the gospel. Matthew, I believe, went to Ethiopia, got stabbed to death. Peter crucified upside down. Can you imagine this? Come on, people. They crucified him upside down because they were about ready to crucify him normal. And he said, I'm not even worthy to die like my Savior. Flip me upside down if you're going to do me like this. What Jesus is saying is to his best friends, you're going to end up dying for this. But when you fall to the ground, you are worth more than a sparrow. When your hairs are coming out of your head, I am there watching and counting everyone that went away. Can we have confidence in our God? If we were led on that death march, would you have confidence in Jesus? Amen. Let's go all the way back to where we were, please. Thank you in closing. The Bible teaches us that he cares for us. We're not supposed to have martyrs, uh, you know, like a mentality and be a victim, but we're supposed to be ready to give it all up for Jesus. So once again, he says now in verse 32, he says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So we're not supposed to say, oh, I don't know him and betray him out of fear. We're supposed to stand up for him. Now, aren't you thankful that after Peter betrayed him three times, Peter came back and was made a great leader of the church? And on the day of Pentecost, who was the one preaching loud and clear for all to hear? It was Peter. God can forgive us even if we become cowards. Look at verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That comes from Micah chapter 7 verse 6. See, we always think Jesus is sweet Jesus. And yes, he's the prince of peace. But we don't understand that at a time of judgment, he has to separate the the weeds from the wheat. And so Jesus himself says, I will separate. I will make the distinguishing mark. I will cut off those who do not want to be in the kingdom. And it will come from your own family, your own friends. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Sometimes the people we love and trust the most will hurt us the most. Now look at this powerful passage, 37 and onward. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. How many times did he say it? Three different times. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Do you want to walk with God? Be willing to give up everything in your family and friends and your own life. Do you understand now why between 9 and 10 I asked you as a church to talk to those elders and deacons that I named? Should I take a sabbatical? Should Should I take a rest? Because when I come back, whenever that is, we have to be ready to go here. How are we going to break the 200s and get into the 300s as a church? How are we going to get to 500? How are we going to plant more campuses? We're not going to do it another way than this. This is the only way forward for us, friends. It's a place of war, not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness that will try to fight the message. And they, those principalities, will try to use the closest people you love to hold you back, and Jesus is saying, you can't put anything before me if you want to be my disciple, even your own family, even your own life, but I thank God for this passage right at the end of chapter 10. Rachel, would you come, please? Verse 40, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Would you do me a favor and shut off that light there for me, please? Thank you. What I love here at the end is that we are told there will be people who will welcome us. You remember last week when I was preaching about being at Logan Square, there were some Christians that said amen as they heard me out there preaching. When you share your faith, there will be people who will receive it. And they'll receive rewards for that. So I know for many of you, it might be intimidating to go preach the gospel, to start praying for people, to cast out demons. That might seem so weird in your world right now. I mean, I know. I can just imagine some of you are going to catch a train tomorrow. You're going to go work downtown. You guys are going to be dressed nice in this corporate world, and you're hearing me talk about this apocalyptic persecution, this super intense environment, and you're going to be like total opposite of that tomorrow. And you're thinking, how in the world does this apply? Watch, watch. Start sharing your faith, and you'll see how it applies. Because before you know it, there'll be some coworkers that get upset. You didn't do it on the job. They can't sell Plexus there, but they'll take you out to lunch and tell you about Plexus or, or their thing. You know, they can't really talk about sports when they're on the clock, but they'll talk, you know, they'll talk about that. And so you're going to make an opportunity to start talking about Jesus, and then instantly, what are you going to feel? You're going to feel that pushback. You're going to feel like I felt standing in the Gulf of Mexico when those waves start crashing and pulling you in. You're going to start feeling the culture beat up on you. And at that moment, you might lose some hair. You might fall because they'll trip you or push you, but Jesus says he'll be right there to pick you up and say, "Yep, I know how many hairs are still left there. And then there'll be people who will listen. Might be the president of your company. He might be this close. He might be this close to jumping off that top floor today. There'll be people on your job, customers that will start to listen. And the Bible says when they listen, they actually will receive a reward for that in heaven. So when I'm out there witnessing and people just blow by me, and then sometimes they'll be like, I'm a Christian. I'm like, man, if you're a Christian, you need to stop and at least pay a blessing of respect to us. That's what we should do as well. you know. God bless you. Thank you for being out here, brother. I'm a Christian. I have to go to work, but I'm glad you guys are witnessing. Now there's some sassy Christians that will be like, "You're not a Christian," you know. They'll keep condemning you to hell. Trust me, I've been condemned by them too. Because I would go back and forth to Mardi Gras. I mean, uh, to the French Quarter to preach all the time. And sometimes, as I was even leaving, there were other street preachers would be like this, like hitting me. And I'm like, "Dude, I am a Christian. I am a pastor. You're a backslidden pastor." I'm like, "Okay, well, I tried, you know. Um, you know, but here's the point: we should we should pay them respect." and say, thank you for witnessing out here. Thank you for being out here at the park. You know, I got my kids. I got to go do some things. But thank you if you see other Christians. And those who stop and do that for us, I always make sure I bless them. But once again, it may not look exactly like that on your job tomorrow. They may not be like, oh, God bless you. Thank you for sharing that with me. They might curse you out, but keep going. Stay strong. There will be people who will listen. I'm reminded of stories in my life with neighbors who started to listen and come to church. I'm reminded of Berto going to the park and now Emiliano comes to the second service. I mean, we could keep you here all day and many of your stories are that way, like you're here because somebody invited you and you listened. Would you go to the bottom as we close out? I hear second service, they're a rowdy bunch, amen. You guys are the quiet ones. You guys are the ones at 6.30 in the morning drinking your coffee. I'm starting church today. These guys are the ones who woke up like 10 minutes ago like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to church. And they come in all loud. What's up? You know, second service, folks. The question is, for all of us, is are we ready to go out and do this for the kingdom of God, to preach it, to live it? Jesus meant it. Those men and women had to go do it in their season, and they paid a price for it. Are we willing to do it in this generation? I want to give you guys a challenge before we go. Every one of you should be a part of a life group and discipleship. Amen? That's our vision here. And here's what I would encourage you. Everybody in your life groups, let's grow 10 people this spring and summer. Every life group, if you grow by 10, we'll have 100 more disciples at the end of the summer. Every life group grow. Take advantage of the nice weather. Meet new people. Sit at different lunch tables, young people, and invite people to the life that has changed your life. Invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Yes, you'll have to shake off some dust, and yes, you'll have to be in some arguments and conflict, but look for the ones who are ready to hand you that cup of water and go, hey, that sounds good. I'll come. Yeah, let's, let's go. Come to my house. Tell me more about it. Get ready to see lives changed. Amen? Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? We love you, Lord. We want to do this. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Number one, if you're not here, uh, if you're here and you're not already born again, accepted Christ, even as I'm talking right now, would you start to come forward, somebody will pray with you, just like how Griselda did during communion. If you're a Christian and you're here and you would say, Pastor, man, I haven't been living this right. Honestly, I've been keeping a lot of junk in my life. That's why I don't really want to do ministry or preach. You could come up as I start to pray. But right now, for the rest of you, as those who are coming, feel free to come now. I'm going to start praying for all of us to be used of God this season in new ways, to be disciples that make disciples. If you're in this place and you're in the 101 and you want God to move you into the 201 because this is your year to become a leader, would you just raise up your hands right now? Father, I ask you to bless.